Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, encouraging us and uh, leading us in song. Um, just one other announcement, too. Uh, Laura and I and the family will be away for the next few Sundays. We're heading off on a uh, vacation, so we'll be away for the next, I think, three Sundays. So back on the 24th, two or three days before camp. So if there's any um, pastoral issues or things that need catching up with, um, please see Rob. Rob will be able to fix you up, and his mobile number is on the back of the bulletin. And he's happy to take a call any time of the day or night, aren't you, Rob? If you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you've got a sore head, just give Rob a quick call and he'll be around. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate Rob being able to do that for us while we're away, so that's going to be helpful. Uh, Both he and my brother Pete will share the speaking while we're away as well. Uh, So you'll be well looked after. We're um, in our sermon series, What Does That Mean?, that's the title, and uh, what we've done there is um, we've asked you over the last few weeks, once I find the passage I'm here with, uh, as you're reading through the Bible, sometimes you come across things that you just don't quite get. You read it, and you sort of look at it, and you sort of think, I'm not really sure um, what that's about. Hang on, before I get there, I'm going to turn this on. There's plan B for our recording. Yeah, as I said, sometimes you read through the Bible and you're looking at a passage and you sort of, whoa, I've got no idea what that is, or maybe I think, but I'm not 100% sure. So over the last few weeks, we've got people to uh, send in to us um, these various passages. And uh, we're going to do another one today. But as I think about that, let me just start off with this. When I was a young guy um, from my previous church, uh, there was an old fellow there who gave me some advice about marriage. I wasn't getting married at the time, but he just wanted to give me some advice about marriage anyway. And he told me this. He said, he said, after you've had the honeymoon and you come back home, he said, what you need to do is take your wife uh, into the bedroom and you take a pair of trousers and you hang them on the back of the door. And then you say this, who's going to wear the trousers in this marriage? That's what he, that was the advice he gave me. He was actually asking... Who's going to take on the role of the man and lead in this marriage? Who's going to wear the trousers? And today we're going to look at it in a similar way where Paul's going to talk about God's order of roles here within a church, about roles and responsibilities. Not so much who's going to wear the trousers, but that's the illustration of what we're sort of thinking about. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to 1 Timothy. chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 15. And then we're going to sort of more concentrate on uh, verses 11 to 15 at the very end. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read from uh, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good... And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 
For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can uh, come and gather this morning and thank you for your living, eternal word. Thank you here for the book of Timothy. Thank you for this passage, Holy Spirit, that you've inspired Paul to write to Timothy. And I ask and pray today, here we are 2,000 years later, help us to see what you want us to see in this passage and help us to apply it to our lives. Quite tricky, Lord, as we think about what's happening here, particularly at the end of this passage. We ask and pray today, Holy Spirit, for your help that we won't bring any preconceived prejudices or ideas to this, but we will allow your word to speak to us. And we will bow our knees to the Lord of creation, Jesus Christ, as he's revealed through this word. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. In many respects, the Bible is easy to read, but it's difficult to understand. Uh, You can read a passage in the Bible easy enough, but to understand it, sometimes there's another story altogether. But don't let that ever stop you from reading the Bible. Critically important that we keep in there hearing the words of truth and life. Uh, Weird Exchange, as Rob said earlier, are here to connect people to Jesus and to grow people in Jesus as well. We're firmly convinced that the Holy Spirit works through the Word to do that, to connect us to Christ and then to grow us in Christ. And here in this passage today in Timothy, it's no um, exception in being easy to read. It's not that difficult to read through Timothy then, but it's a little bit more difficult to understand here what's happening. And something we want to pick up out of this series here of doing this is to learn to read our Bibles better so we can hear God's voice speaking into our lives through that. And to read our Bibles better, we need to know the context often for what's happening around a situation where Paul might be writing this or why it could be written in another book somewhere else. So the context here is is the surrounding circumstances that play a part in the forming of this letter here that Paul's writing. So here's the context. 1 Timothy is a pastoral letter written by Paul. Paul's in a Roman prison, much like Philippians we went through a few weeks ago. Uh, Timothy is a pastor at Ephesus in Asia. Ephesus is this large Roman city that is like a gateway for the rest of inland Asia. Paul, uh, sorry, yeah, Paul's previously spent lots of time there and established a church there quite a few years beforehand. It's a reasonably sized church as well. Timothy's a young guy. He's like an apprentice of Paul. And Timothy is at Ephesus now as the pastor of this church. He's up against false teachers there who are bringing false teaching and false doctrine into the church here at Ephesus. And we sort of see snippets of that. If you read through the whole book, you'll see there in uh, chapter 4, 1 to 5, they're actually forbidding marriage and also promoting that you deny yourself food is one of the the false teachings here of these false teachers. 
And also, they like to have arguments uh, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, about trivial issues. They actually get more enjoyment out of the argument than what discovering what the truth's all about. Just a bit of a snippet here of some of the false teachers in this church in Ephesus or around about here where, Paul, uh, where Timothy is and Paul's writing to him. So, Paul writes to Timothy to give him instructions on how he and the church should conduct themselves or behave themselves in the face of the community where they live. It's how the gospel shapes us. And he says that there in verses, uh, in chapter 3, verses 14, 15. Uh, Paul's saying this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And while I just uh, remember it, I'm quite happy to take some questions at the end of this uh, talk as well. So if you have some questions that might come to your mind, please lock those thoughts away and we'll take some questions then maybe to help um, clear a few things up. Anyway, that's, that's the reason why Paul's writing. He's writing here how we ought to behave as the household of God uh, in this, in particular Timothy's uh, context in Ephesus. But what Paul's got to say there in this passage that we just read is some quite strong and blunt language, particularly those last few verses there in verses 11 and 12 towards women. And today we want to look at that, just those last four verses there, we want to look at that and we want to see how the gospel can flourish and will flourish in both men and women and see their household of God carry out a glorious mission of making Christ look great as we learn how to behave and how to conduct ourselves in God's church and then obviously into the greater community. So what are Paul's instructions here for Timothy as he's actually giving him um, some guidance here regarding women as we look at this, this focus, this in this passage? And let's not forget as Paul's writing this to Timothy, he's talking about here in the context of the church, how it looks in the church. And he says this in verse 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. It's pretty tricky, isn't it? Sometimes you might read that and say, well, I'm just going to skip right over that. It's there for us today to look at. It's there for us today to learn from. It's there for us today to think about it. First of all, what Paul wants us to see here, he wants women to learn. He wants them to to learn. And that's a really, really important thing and a really, really great thing. Disciples of Jesus are learners. They are learners. They, we, are learning to become more like Christ. Now, it's important because if we think about this, learning wasn't always promoted with women in the New Testament times. It wasn't. Often women were actually prohibited from learning. So it's a really good thing. This is what Jesus wants. He wants women to learn. He wants them to learn about Christ, which is the most valuable knowledge that they could ever, ever have. But Paul here commands, though, that women should learn with quietness and submission. Quietness here means precisely what it says. Learn without making any noise. Don't speak up out of turn or don't unnecessarily interrupt. Don't cause a disturbance when being taught. Now, we don't know exactly the details of what's happening here in Ephesus, but maybe, but maybe there were some ladies, some women there who were quite rowdy and noisy, possibly. Maybe there were some new converts 
who were speaking out at the wrong wrong time. We're not sure exactly what may be taking place there. Paul also says this in relation to how we conduct ourselves in the household of God. He commands also submissiveness. Women are to learn in submission to order or authority. They are to subject themselves to the positions of created authority within the church. Submission is is to willingly recognise what is the right order and then put ourselves under that authority. A bit like a student with a teacher. The student recognises the teacher is the authority there, so the student puts him or her self under the authority of the teacher. They come under that authority. Paul steps it out here a little bit further in verse 12. He says, all this, I don't permit a woman to teach. I don't permit a woman to teach. What does that mean? Without going into all the technical arguments, because you can find some of those as you read through the commentaries, the understanding of the word teach here is not to teach Bible doctrine. Not to teach Bible doctrine. Paul says, I don't permit women to teach Bible doctrine in a church setting. Just hang with me, guys, okay? Just hang with me here. I know you've probably got a few questions already starting to roll around your mind. And then he follows on with this. He says, I don't permit women to exercise authority over men as well. Also, in a church context setting. And we're talking adult men there when Paul talks about uh, men, adult men. Now, it's important here as we think about this really challenging passage that we're looking at um, to see that these two prohibitions to not teach Bible doctrine and to not have authority over men actually go hand in hand when we understand what this exercising authority means. Paul is saying women are not permitted to hold the authority or the office of a church elder, of a church elder. Because the elder's position is a lead authority in the church and also has attached with it the idea of teaching uh, biblical doctrine or teaching the Bible. So Paul here is saying women are neither to teach the Bible or hold the role of elder leadership within a church. I'm thinking you've probably got lots of questions rolling around your mind now about this. What does this mean? Just hold those thoughts for just a little bit more. That's Paul's instructions. That's the instructions he gives here to Timothy in Ephesus for how the church should conduct itself and behave itself here um, amongst that community. So, how can Paul say those things? Is Paul a male chauvinist? Or in the words of some politicians, is he a misogynist, a woman hater? Is that what Paul's about? What is Paul's foundation here to say such massive statements? Because they are really big statements, what Paul's just saying there. Maybe not back in Paul's day, but certainly in our day, they are big statements. So what's his foundation here for why he would give this instruction to Timothy? Well, that's where Paul goes next in the next couple of verses. Paul pins this teaching back to God's order in creation. And we see it there in verses 13 and 14 where Paul, uh, with Timothy, uh, sorry, Paul says this to Timothy. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 
The word for there, you see right at the start of that passage, is really important for us. It's a linking word. The word for links verses 11 and 12 together with, with verses 13 and 14. For is like a because. He says what he says in verse 11 and 12. Because this reason, Adam was formed first, then Eve. So what Paul is pointing us here, he's pointing us back to Genesis. He's actually pointing us back to uh, God's created order to understand what God has put in place for how he has created us and what roles he gives us as male and female. Let's go back and see what God has done then right at the beginning of time when he first created uh, man and woman. Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Clearly there, God is our creator. He's the one who gives us life. Humanity has come from God and continues to come from life. All the newborn babies we've had over the last few months, all are a gift of God as our creator. And he knows us intimately. He knows what is best for us as our maker. And notice here in creating humanity, he created us male and female there as we look at that in that passage right towards the end there. Them as in male and female. It's important here that we see before God, before God, We are all of equal worth, equal value, equal dignity, equal respect and equal in the image of God. And often we are gifted very similar as well in intellect and other gifts. I know when I was back at high school, uh, we had one um, girl in our class and we could not beat her in any test or exam. She was way more intelligent than all of us. Her name was Anne Berwick, and maybe she's listening today. Anne, well done on all your successful tests all those years ago, but she was incredible. She was way more intelligent than us. Fantastic the way God gifted her like that. But yet here we are, male and female, but we are different. We are different. Created male and female, or man and woman, equal in all those things, equal in all those things, yet different. Different. God has created us in difference for different roles that we are designed to carry out as man and woman or as male and female. And we see a picture of that here for us in Genesis chapter 2 as well as we begin to see here these different roles. And it says in Genesis chapter 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now if we just look at that even, we can see actually quite a bit that's happened there. Two things in particular. God has created man or Adam first. And then he sets about to create Eve second after Adam. So there's actually I could create an order. That's really important because if you read through the Bible, you'll see the firstborn is always um, indicated as the head in a family. So we can see something in this, even the, the creation order there in that sense. The first one created actually is like the one who becomes the head or the authority. But you also see here, God gives Eve a role. God gives Eve a role here. She's designed to be Adam's helper in ruling over creation, if you were to read on further in those verses there in chapter 2. I will make a helper fit for him. If she's a helper in God's created order, 
then she's submitting to his lead or headship in ruling over creation. Like a helper does. They come to the person they're helping and say, what would you like me to do? You tell me what, what, what you want done and I will do that as your helper. It's sort of recognising here an authority structure that God has put in place as our creator right from the start. This then becomes the created order that Paul, the apostle, as he writes to Timothy, now builds his understanding on to actually help us to see how we ought to conduct ourselves and behave ourselves in God's church. Paul gets that God has created man or Adam first with the role of head or authority and that the woman, Eve, is created second with the role of submission to help Adam the man. Equal in every way before God, yet different. Different roles, different responsibilities that God has made. So Paul sees here that God's original order still stands. It hasn't changed. And this order, particularly so, Paul sees, should be in the church. This is how God's created us. These are the roles and responsibilities he's given. Because the church is a representation of God. So Paul says it's only right in God's way that men should lead the church and that women follow that lead in helping by submission to God's created order right back from the start. And Paul goes on to say this as well in verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Why has he added this little bit here as well? Is that sort of... You know, if you want to look at it from the wrong way, is that trying to really put screws into the women here at this point? Why is he out of this? I think it's really important if we think about why he's out of that, we need to see, okay, if we think about this transgression thing, it's really leading back to the time in the garden when Satan was tempting Eve to uh, eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. If we think about that and think about what was happening there, Paul, uh, Paul's saying this, Eve, at that particular time, went outside of God's created order. Eve was listening to the voice of Satan and went outside of God's created order there of of Adam as the head and she um, helping him because Eve neither submitted to God's authority at that time with Satan and she didn't submit to Adam's authority at that time in that situation either. She took authority onto herself and made her own call and submitted to Satan's plan instead And the result of that was nothing short of a disaster. What I will say here right at that point is that Adam's leadership at that particular point was pathetic. Pathetic. But I'll say more about that later. So Paul, as he's writing here to Timothy to give him instructions on how we ought to behave in the church, pens this position of women to be submissive to male leadership and not to grab at the role of elder or to teach the Bible in the church, he pins us back to God's created order, which is good for us. Which is good for us. And when we look at it from a creation perspective order, this then we need to understand actually covers across all of time. All of time. Because some people say, but wasn't that just back for then? It wasn't Paul just referring to then and in that sort of cultural context? But the very fact that Paul actually brings it back to created order, God's created order, it then becomes no all of time. Whether it's AD 62 when when Paul wrote this to Timothy 
or it's Shepparton 2018, it makes no difference for time there. This is what Paul is saying for all of time in God's created order on how we ought to behave and conduct ourselves in the household of God. So you might say, what does that mean, as the title of our sermon series uh, goes? What does that mean? Because what we've just spoken about absolutely flies in the face of culture today, doesn't it? It absolutely sort of flies in the face of culture today that any idea that, that puts women in a role of submission to men is like shunned or treated as disgraceful by the current culture we live in, isn't it? Any way of trying to, to it may even appear like we're denigrating them or pushing them down is just totally in the, in the, it flies in the face of today's culture. Let me say this about women. I love them. Absolutely love them. And appreciate the differences God has made in them compared to men. My father died when I was about just short of being 15. And my mother raised me from that point on. And she was just a wonderful, loving and caring mother. Loved her. I'm married to a beautiful woman. I have three gorgeous daughters who I I die for most days. (laughs) Every day, every day, every day. I really praise God for women. They are a gift for humanity. They really, really are. And we need women because we aren't complete without them. It's the way God has made that, male and female. But culture really does recoil away from gender difference and role difference, doesn't it? There's something that it just doesn't like about that. And particularly when men are in authority over women, it just seems to want to just recoil and push that away. And in a sense, I get that. In a real sense, I actually get that. Because women have been treated badly. They have been dominated and ruled ruthlessly at times. When I see that hashtag MeToo campaign, I get that. I get that because if you go over perhaps what's been unfolding in the media lately, the sexual abuse and the physical assault is just a terrible mark upon men. I mean, you've only got to look at Eurydice Dixon, that lady walking home the other night, that is um, terrible that a man would just so ruthlessly overpower a woman like that, rape her and then kill her. I get that whole thing about, yep, sure, women have been done a very, very bad deal. Some men are really abusive and they have squashed women terribly in their so-called leadership. Some men have also been terribly weak in their leadership as well and actually walked away from all responsibilities. So I get this idea where culture somewhat sort of, you know, recoils away. And thinking about this leadership vacuum, um, referring back to Adam there, what, what was Adam doing when Eve was talking to the Satan? Because if you read the Bible, he's actually right there with her. Because it says when she had the fruit, she gave it to her husband who was with him, well, with her, sorry, at that time. I'm thinking, Adam, what were you doing? You actually weren't standing up to protect your wife. Here she is having a conversation with Satan. You should have jumped in there and said, hey, you don't talk to him like that. We're not going to listen to his lies. He was actually being quite weak in his leadership at that particular point in time. So I get that culture responds the way it does somewhat when this male domination or this leadership vacuum occurs. I get this recoiling. I think sometimes they respond by taking, well, okay, we've got to take a great authority under ourselves, ladies. We've got to step up here and we've actually got to you know, we've got to take command of this situation because we're just not going to get run over like that. And I can sort of understand some of that reaction in the culture. 
Culture also, though, responds in a direct sinful way as well in trying to take authority and actually begin to um, take rule. Because part of the curse that God put on Adam and Eve uh, for their sin that they committed in the garden was that Eve would have a remaining desire to rule her husband. If you look in Genesis 3.16, we see that. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he he shall rule over you. Telling little verse, that one there. What it's saying there is, actually, my desire is to rule over you, Adam. This contrary to your husband. But God's saying, no, he shall rule over you. So God's created order still uh, sits in place there. Sin inside of us wants to rebel against God's created order. Perhaps for some ladies, they just can't handle submitting to their husband. They'd rather wear the trousers in the marriage. I want to rule this marriage. And perhaps in Ephesus, these false teachers who were coming in and trying to sort of cause disruption here were telling the women, you don't have to submit any longer to these church elders. You don't have to do that. You don't have to submit to those guys. Actually, if you come and join us in our church, we'll make you an elder in our church. Who knows what they might have been saying to these, some of the ladies there in trying to uh, spread some of their false teaching. Don't forget, though, we're here, we're talking about this sphere of authority in the church here as we think about this chapter. But even in thinking about that, I think the culture too looks on into the church and they can't believe that the church is still so old school. Do you really still believe that stuff about you know, male leadership and male headship? You know, that's really so yesterday. I think the world does look in sometimes and do that. Interestingly, when I, when I did some research this week and I was reading through, I discovered that for nearly 2,000 years, the church has maintained faithfully to this biblical practice here and was solid in the teaching of male leadership within the church. And it was only probably about 50 years ago that the first real protests started to come in to the church from within the church about this sort of male leadership. And interesting, when I, when I read a bit more about this, it said it sort of started at the same time as the women's liberation movement in the 1960s. And all of a sudden then these reports started coming in to try and actually pull apart uh, the very chapter we're looking at right here. They started to write these big long papers about how Paul was only thinking about back then and trying to do all these other things. But for the previous nearly 2,000 years, the church has maintained a faithful stance here. But in the last 50 years, we've actually seen a whole capitulation away from a biblical point of view where now they're ordaining women to be the senior pastors or elders in churches, which flies directly in the face of what Paul says there in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. So how does it look then for 2018? How does it look? What does God and the Bible see for the role of women in church leadership? Let me restate again then so we're clear on that, that according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, from God's order of authority that women aren't to occupy the position of elder in a church or to teach the Bible to adult men. Adult men. But there is still a whole stack of other ministries that both God and the church and we want ladies, want women to wholeheartedly pour their lives into for the gospel in leadership. I can just state quickly here a few. Any women's ministry 
We want women to lead that. To stand up there and just do a great job in leading a gospel ministry. Youth group ministry. We want women, if they're interested in that and want to do it, we want them to lead youth group ministry. Kids ministries. Women can come and they can lead that and do a fantastic job. Music ministries. Women can come and lead that and do a fantastic job in leading that with the gifts and skills and talents they've got. Now that list can go on and on and on. That's just a few where women can and we want women to come in and to actually flourish in the gospel and to lead there well. Women actually can take part in any other ministry you can think of outside of eldership positions. And many of those, they can lead them. I've got a page at home which has probably got about, I think I saw 70 different ministry type things they could be involved in. There's a whole stack there. God wants to see women rise up in that and to flourish in the gospel and take hold of those positions and really, really grow strongly there. So I look at this passage here today and I think, what's Paul driving at here in this passage? Why is he so keen to see God's order established here? Why is, so, why is this so important for us in 2018? If this is such a countercultural thought, why should we embrace this teaching? Whereas the culture around about us would actually say, okay, you guys have got it all wrong in the church. Now you need to move on with the times. Why should we then want to embrace this teaching that Paul's calling us here to? Well, firstly, as we saw, it is God's created order. It is the best thing for us despite how we may think. It is the best thing for us, despite how the world may think. We're not here to sort of, as it were, bring the world or bring the culture into the church and then they tell us how we should be shaped and how we should do that. Firstly, it's God's created order. That is what God wants us to do. Secondly, Paul's got a missional aspect here as he writes this in this teaching. Paul's writing for good order in the church here at Ephesus. He wants them to see, he wants to see the gospel flourish here with them. Look in verses 3 and 6 of chapter 2. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul's got the gospel in view there. He's got the redeeming work of Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom for uh, us. Ransom for all. He wants to see the gospel flourish. He wants to see it redeem and transform hearts. So to do this, we need to follow God's will. To see this gospel grow in the church, to see this gospel grow in our own hearts and lives, we need to see God's order take its rightful place within the church and within our own hearts and lives. Because that is where the gospel will best grow, when we follow God's order. Men, men need to step up to the plate. Men need to lead lovingly and sacrificially in holiness, honouring Christ. This is God's order. Men need to follow the example of the ship that goes down to the ocean. And what happens there? Women and children get off first. And men sacrifice themselves for the women and children. Men need to lead lovingly and sacrificially in the church. Men need to follow God's order by leading strongly, by lovingly and willingly taking on the responsibility of leadership. Not creating a leadership vacuum, but actually rising to the occasion and taking on that leadership and fulfilling it here as God's given role and as the lead. 
Men need to love every single person of the church, so much so they are keen to protect and serve and desire to see every single person in that church grow in Christ. Men need to take that role as God's order and to do that in his power. So then if women do feel vulnerable or afraid, men, godly men, step in and lead well. That is our goal, men. That is our goal, is to see the women of this church to grow and be fruitful in the gospel. That is our goal. We want to see every lady, every young lady, every woman rise up and fulfil and flourish in the gospel. And if that's the case, if that's the case with men, that's how they're living, then women can find their God-given role where they can truly bloom and blossom in Christ. That will take place as men take their role up and fulfil it well. So we've got to see here that Paul's teaching here isn't repressive against women. It may appear like that when you first read it. Paul seems really negative here. It's not repressive. It's actually redemptive. He's trying to redeem the roles and the positions that God has created for us. When women submit themselves to God and his order, it actually will be liberating. They'll feel like they can be the person who God wants them to be. When they're released into this role, they can be released into it with confidence as they submit themselves to God's order. As they see men as the proper head and women in their role that God has made to support them, it's a liberating position for women as they actually see that is God's order. Sure, sure, there'll be many sinful challenges along the way to try and rebel against God's order. But if we persist in the power of the Holy Spirit, the community of the church, as it's carrying out these roles, will look very, very attractive. It'll make the gospel look really, really powerful when we carry out these roles. Because the world will look in and they'll ask, what is the hope that you guys have? How are you living so countercultural to the rest of the world around about us? How is it that you ladies can sit here quietly learning in submission with joy and strength? How can you ladies actually just follow this, uh, respectfully follow the leadership of men And you seem so content in that when the world's doing something totally different. And they'll look in and say, and the men, they really do lead lovingly in a genuine, caring, sensitive and sacrificial way. How do you guys live like that? How have you got that order and harmony in your lives? The world will look in and they'll see something very, very different about a community that is living like that. And you see, Paul knows that a church living according to God's order will have a very powerful mission on display as we live like that as a community. And that display ultimately will be Jesus Christ. It will be. Jesus is the greatest leader this world has ever seen. No one compares with Christ. Jesus is a man who redeemed women so they could thrive in the gospel. That's what Jesus did. At Jesus' time, women women were greatly suppressed, often treated as second-rate people or just as a service for men. That's how women often were treated in his time. And men did abuse and dominate them badly. But not so with Jesus. Jesus had women feature very prominently in his life. When no one else would, women would step up and had a ministry of supporting and caring for Jesus' needs. He never pushed them away. He elevated women at that time. 
Women were there at his death when most of the men had run away. Here they are weeping at the cross for Jesus. Jesus raised and elevated the worth of women. And when Jesus rose from the grave, the first person at the tomb was a woman. Jesus featured prominently with women in his life as the greatest leader this world has ever seen. And when women met this man Jesus, the leader who sacrificially gave his life away for them, they didn't jostle for power, they didn't jostle for his authority, they didn't try and take his place because they met a man who truly sacrificially loved them and who was their king and their redeemer. Women actually found their place in the gospel when they met Jesus. They discovered who they were meant to be. And there in that very, very humble submission, they discovered the joy of who Jesus Christ is. And that made Christ look very, very great. And that's, that's Paul's whole idea here in chapter 2. He wants this right order to take place in the church so the church will be strong and mature, but also the church will be very attractive in living counterculturally in comparison to the rest of this world. That's what Paul wants. And that's what we want here at Exchange. We want to see men rise up and take their position carefully, lovingly, responsibly. And we want to help empower women to submit lovingly also and respectfully to the men who lead them in their life, particularly here as elders in the church or if you're married, in a marriage situation as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that we can uh, come around your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you just inspired this word for us today. Lord, maybe in many respects hard for us to think through what's happening here. Maybe some people have looked at this passage, Lord, and just glanced over it and pushed past and said, I don't get it and I'm not sure and, and moved on. Or maybe some of us, Lord, have been affected so much by the world um, our cultural worldview is shaped by the world and not by Scripture. Uh, Lord, today I thank you that this word is timeless and this word has not changed. God, today I pray you'll help us to see what our roles are and the differences you've made between male and female and the responsibilities you've placed with us within a church. God, I pray you'll help men to rise up and lead lovingly and carefully, sacrificially, responsibly. And Lord, I pray that you'll help women to take their role, Lord, in submitting to the authority of men and uh, submitting, Lord, to your role and all that you've placed upon us. And the Lord, through that, that we won't see it as repressive or as negative, but we'll see it actually what it really is, and that is redemptive. It does help us to be fulfilled in the people you've created us to be. Help us today, Lord, I pray, that we would see that and that, Holy Spirit, you would do a work in our hearts and our lives, that we would grow in that as well. Lord, for the ladies today who've suffered abuse or suffered male domination, Lord, or just have some terrible, terrible memories or scars that have happened to them in their lives, I pray, God, that today you'd help those ladies to look to Jesus Christ, the ultimate leader, the man who led in such a loving, sacrificial way that he lays down his life for those ladies. Lord, for men today who have perhaps ruled in a dominating way, in an insensitive way, Lord, or a a, a mean way, I pray quicken their hearts today as well that we're meant to sacrifice in our leadership. We're meant to love in our leadership. 
And that, Lord, I pray that through that, your gospel would shine brightly in our lives. And, Lord, it would be attractive to the world that is out there looking in on the church. Pray, God, you do that for your glory and for our good. And uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions? You stretching there, Sam, or are you putting hand up? How far does it go? So Sam's question is, um, in regards to teaching Bible doctrine, um, can ladies do a communion talk or can ladies... Uh, lead worship. So that's Sam's question there. Uh, no problems at all. Pro- probably the picture we've got to get there is um, when we talk about a, uh, teaching Bible doctrine, it would be like the, uh, the consistent person who's, who's consistently teaching Bible doctrine in the church. So for someone to hop up and do communion, there's no problems at all for a lady to actually share that because they're not actually, as it were, teaching. They're opening up a passage, passage and sort of reminding us again of what Christ has done. And worship leading, no problems at all. I mean, if someone's worship leading and they're sharing out of a, a, just want to share a Bible passage, it's not, as it were, the main teaching role that's taking place. It's just an encouragement role of just help us to focus upon Christ. Probably a good question some may ask, well, is there ever any case where a woman could lead a church? And I think there is. But aren't you just saying the opposite of what you just said in the Bible, if I say that? I think there is, I've thought about this, in a sense, if you're living in a persecuted land and most of the men have been either imprisoned or killed and maybe there's only ladies in the church and maybe there's a handful of men who are really, really young new converts and they've got really no idea how to teach the Bible and there's some women there who are still quite well brought up in the Bible, I would say in that case that a woman could lead that church with this proviso, that as soon as men are mature enough and strong enough in their faith, they should transition that leadership. So do you get what I'm saying there? If there's no other men that can actually step up and do it, I think women could do it, and I I would support that. But I would say you probably then at some point need to transition that to get the right biblical order when the right men are in place who can actually lead that. Jane, then I'll come back to you, Doug. This is not, this is not a particular church at all. Yep. What if the question wrong? And the teaching wrong? And am I as a female under approach saying, hey, that's wrong, I think it's wrong for this reason? That's a really good question, Jane. Absolutely. So Jane's question was, even though a woman shouldn't be teaching biblical doctrine or have the role of an eldership, and if, if the if the preacher up the front's teaching wrong doctrine, does that mean I've still got to sit quietly and not say anything and approach the person? Absolutely not. You, you need to come and see the elders. But hey, I'm not really sure you guys are on the ball there with that, so spot on. That doesn't say you can't approach eldership and say that you're not teaching the right stuff. Absolutely. We are, we are at your beck and call to make sure that we're preaching faithfully out of the Bible. That, that, okay, Joe? Yep. Doug? Um, pr- probably comment more than anything else. Um, historic observation. 
synagogue at that time would have been comprised of men only, yep. women on the outside. They weren't included. Yep. Whereas the church that Paul's talking about in Ephesus would have been in somebody's home, yep. which included women. Yep. So for the first time, women were actually included in that congregation as equal partners. So it was really building women yep. True. So um, Doug's comment there is, uh, New Testament times, synagogues basically had um, rabbis, men, up the front, and sort of other men listening and learning sort of the first row of seats, second row of seats, third row of seats, and women would be sort of right to the back of the room or maybe even outside the building trying to listen in through the windows, something like that. That was the culture of the day, um, but that wasn't the culture of the New Testament church. New Testament churches, we all gathered together to hear. So it wasn't like men here, then ladies in the back which is the redemptive aspect of the gospel in actually um, elevating women. Uh, totally. So, good comment. <coughs> Nev? Oh, there is another fact where Paul, in that context, if you've got a question, rather than make it in public, just go home and talk about it first with your husband. Yep. That idea, which is, get back to the idea of order, before you make a big summer dance or something, talk about it sensibly with the, 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 the young position. And, of course, Nev, you've seen from there, no, that's right. Yep. Yeah, that Paul um, Neville's referring to a passage out of Corinthians um, where there was a bit of other discussion there about uh, positions of ladies in the church as well. Jen? Okay, so Jen's asked a question. Okay, I've been to some conferences and I've heard ladies speak. I guess you've got to try and put your finger on what are they doing when they're speaking. Some could be teaching Bible doctrine. If it's a ladies' conference, that's no problems at all. I've been to conferences where ladies have spoken, but it's been more sharing about a ministry other than actually trying to teach Scripture from the Bible. So it could be a bit murky or grey. Like when is it sort of sharing about a ministry? When is it trying to teach biblical doctrine? Um, yeah, one-off talks here and there is probably not a big drama, but if someone said, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to actually take the lead position in this church as the lead teacher of the Bible, um, Paul would say, no, that's not the position to take. Okay, we might wrap up there. If you've got any more questions, I'm happy to catch up with you, or if you wanted to have some prayer post-service, um,